Hardware to Save a Planet explores the technical innovations that are giving us hope in the fight against climate change. Each episode focuses on a specific climate challenge and explores an emerging physical technology solution with the person bringing it into reality. I'm your host, Dylan Garrett. Hello, and welcome to Hardware to Save a Planet. I'm super excited today to have my very good friend, Jeff Satwitz, on the show. We're going to be talking about the waste management industry and what Jeff and his company, Big Belly, are doing to tackle some of the big inefficiencies there. I'm really glad to be talking about that problem specifically. I think it's a really important piece of this sort of big climate change puzzle. Just a couple data points. Garbage trucks have an average fuel economy of two and a half miles per gallon. It's kind of mind-blowing. They're one of the bigger contributors to municipal greenhouse gas emissions. Big Belly Systems, Jeff's company, Big Belly, their systems, when deployed at scale, reduce waste truck mileage by 80%. So that's a pretty big impact to a big problem. Jeff and I met in college. Just to introduce Jeff, he's a very incredibly talented engineer. I remember in school, while I was sort of struggling to pass my physics exams and, and reading textbooks about how engines work. Jeff was literally building an engine and a car in his garage and acing those same physics exams. He's also kind of the definition of a well-rounded engineer. He's athletic, although I think I could probably beat him at ping pong. He's a great chef. He's always texting me pictures of gourmet meals he's making with his wife, who, by the way, also find to be an excellent person who I admire very much. And uh, not to get too bromancy here, but he's very good looking as well. So, Jeff, welcome to the show. Good to have you. Thank you very much for making the time. Thank you, Dylan. <laughs> I appreciate the glowing introduction there. And uh, I don't live up to most of those things, but I appreciate your attempt. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about Big Belly and hear more about sort of the tech there. I think it's really cool. Before we get into that, I was hoping to just hit a little bit about your background. You and I met when we were in college. I know that's kind of when the Big Belly story started. Yes. But I'd love to hear sort of what led you to that point was, did you always want to tackle climate change? Did you just think trash compactors were cool? Like, how did you get into this? Yeah. I mean, look, my origin story is a little bit of all of that. The college we went to, Olin College, was a startup in and of itself. And so this notion of doing something new and novel and trying to make a better world through taking stuff on that was different and new and uncomfortable was something that I think all of us in that school subscribe to. And so that, you know, that then translates to a lot of our classmates being part of companies and being part of really tackling world changing type of type events. And it's a wonderful community to be part of. As far as starting big, what became Big Belly, a large part of it was I, I was really excited about being part of a startup company. And it felt really good to think about trying to start a company that was trying to help in a make the world a cleaner, greener space. It happened to be with the idea of a trash compactor, which was pretty cool. I will admit that. And you know, something I enjoyed working on. I'm I'm a hardware guy at heart. You talked about, you know, I like restoring old cars and things like that. So I'm kind of one of those old school people that in the world of social networks and metaverse. I like physical, tangible things that are going to help the world going forward in, in that sort of sense. So that's kind of where my background came from. And as we've thought about Big Belly going forward, 
our goal is really to try to help the world out and make the products that will make the world a more beautiful space. Our focus is in the waste management part. You know, there's wonderful companies all over the world that are doing this and both in the waste industry and, you know, and others to, and if we all do our part, I think we will end up with a, a cleaner, greener world. Yeah, it's awesome. So speaking of kind of doing your part, can you describe kind of the specific solution that Big Belly has? Sure. So the Big Belly company, you know, most folks listening to this podcast have probably seen or interacted with our products in some way, probably without even knowing it. We are the, you know, to a large extent, the solar compactor company. Uh, you've things that kind of look like a mailbox and work like a mailbox with a solar panel on top. Those devices you found in, in cities, universities, airports, et cetera, around your, your life probably were a product from our company, Big Belly. And those ones that you saw are generally going to be a solar compactor. So uh, it's a automated waste compactor out in public spaces that gathers the energy to do its waste compaction by a solar panel and will hold five to 10 times the amount of waste a traditional bin might hold. And that therefore translates directly into a reduced number of collections that the waste group would need to do to collect that waste, which is you know, really the primary environmental benefit of the product that we developed. We're, we're about taking the trucks off the streets if we can and making a better world and a better environment, both in the big picture and in the small picture. You know, a lot of what what we are talking about now is really how the environment around a big belly and the local environment gets better with the products we deploy with our customers. They're a fully enclosed waste system. So because there's a compactor inside, we keep the waste hidden and protected from the outside world. The side benefit of that is that it's also protected from pests like birds and rats and other animals. So we're about beautifying in a more broad way. We're about beautifying the space in that the bins occupy, the local area around the bin, less litter, less clutter, more beautiful place to, to be. But we're about beautifying the community, cluttering the streets, causing congestion, which then is a side benefit of greenhouse gas emissions. And then in the big picture world side of it, fewer emissions from those vehicles producing greenhouse gases. These are a lot of the waste collection vehicles are diesel operated which also then produce like NOx and SOx and other sort of particulate matter, which is different thing than greenhouse gases. It's more about air quality and, and stuff like that in the local environment. Cool. Yeah, it's, I'm glad you bring that stuff up. I think it's really easy to forget, especially myself as an engineer, like thinking about all the, the technical solutions to address climate change. But a lot of this at the end of the day is about making human lives better yeah. as well. And like you said, reducing the the other particular matter and beautifying streets and reducing congestion and stuff just has a positive impact on people directly. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I feel like the, we're part of the waste industry, right? So you know, our, our company is a piece of, of this massive industry that is the waste industry. And it's an industry that is dirty in nature. And, you know, it's about dealing with trash and things that people don't want anymore. And I think as a result of that, it's viewed as this industry that's kind of this non-environmentally friendly part of the world. But hmm. everything about the industry now is really about transforming it from being kind of what it was to what it will be in the future. And everything that I see and hear at you know, trade shows, conferences, et cetera, publications is really all about how do you make this industry part of the solution, not a piece of the problem. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how you came up with the idea? So was it always solar powered trash compactor? Did, did you start with a problem and 
think of a solution? What did that look like? Yeah. So we the origins of the product itself and the company started as a product and the product was a solar power trash compactor to keep the waste related to collecting waste in public spaces down. As we've grown and evolved as a company and from a product into a system and into a solution, that original origin product is still part of what we do. But as I kind of described earlier, waste is something that nobody wants to see or deal with or anything. You know, when I'm done with an object, I the ideal way is that I, it just vanishes in my hand and, that, and I don't have to see it again, right? A lot of the innovation going on right now is, but what do you do with it after that? What do you do with it once it's been picked up and kind of grabbed into the system? How do you make that a greener, cleaner process? And you know, our product is really on the front end. How do you make the, the initial disposal of the waste more efficient, more effective, and more kind of clean for the environment? Mm-hmm. And then it's about sorting and recycling or composting and doing whatever it is to get to retain as much energy out of it or whatever is possible. Yeah. Like the, I feel like I should probably know some of these like you know, major milestones in the waste industry better than I do, given that I've, I've lived it for my entire professional career, but humans have always gotten at some point you get, you're done with whatever thing you have and you get rid of it. And as we started with early humans, those things were not necessarily man-made objects that, that were problems. It might've been the Know, the stick that you were using that day and you just cast it aside, no big deal. As we've evolved as a society, the type of waste we've created and the amount of waste we've created I feel like has grown in both percentage by person and then in the kind of the longevity and the durability of that waste and the fact that it's no longer made of natural substances. It's made of stuff that needs to be dealt with in a more sensitive way. And historically, the, you know, the way we've we started doing is you just bury it or toss it aside, right? You know, so you hide it. Mm-hmm. And I think the challenge is, is twofold. Number one, we're running out of places to bury it. You know, nobody wants a place to bury waste in your backyard. And I think the industry has figured out that that's not a long-term sustainable method. So, and there's also a lot of valuable material still in there, right? The idea of recycling is both a good thing from an environmental standpoint and a good business model if you can do it efficiently. There's real money in the raw materials that are being discarded to be then made into new products and uh, new ideas. So I feel like the old status quo of the waste industry of we'll pick it up from you and we'll bury it has been shifting over the last number of decades into something that is really becoming pretty sophisticated and is growing more sophisticated and technologically based every day. On the sorting side of things, there are things called MRFs, so material recovery facilities, where when your waste gets picked up from your house or, or you know, one of the big belly systems in a public space, chances are it goes to one of these facilities prior to going to a landfill. That's sole goal is to extract out useful materials in there, metals, papers, cardboard, plastics, stuff like that that can be reused into new products and, and new ideas. And in pulling that out of the waste stream, it's got this two-sided effect. Number one, you get uh, new raw materials that you don't have to go mine and, and find in some other way. And you're reducing the amount of waste that goes into that does end up needing to go into a landfill or some other disposal means. And then the people producing the stuff that becomes waste. There's some interesting work going on right now to try to make some laws around that. But there's really no burden on a company to produce stuff that can then be effectively reused. So the simple state idea of like you know some of the plastic bottles and things that we think are really recyclable 
are often less recyclable than we think because they're a mix of different materials. Mm-hmm. And those companies are making those choices on the materials for, for their own purposes on product development, on cost, on, on other things without necessarily thinking about the, the implications of reusing that bottle down the road. And if it was one material, it'd be really easy to process. If it's a mix of materials, now it's a less valuable commodity for reuse down the, down the stream. Yeah, that stuff is fascinating. I, it'd be fun to do a show on the sort of sorting side of waste management. I learned the other day, just as an example, that those compostable plastic bags people use in their kitchen scraps, compost bins, when they get to the sorting center, at least in California at Recology, those actually get pulled out because their systems can't distinguish them from non-compostable plastic bags. So it's just as good as using a totally piece of trash, piece of plastic. Right. And you, at, yeah, at the collection point, you don't, or the sort of point of uh, yeah disposal, you don't think about what's happening in the back end often. So how does that trend of more interest in reclaiming these materials on the back end, how does that impact what Big Belly is doing on the front end? So when our company started back in 2003, we really only made a trash collection receptacle. And since then, we now have five different streams of waste collection receptacles that we offer out to the market. Trash or the stuff that you intend to go to a landfill, single stream recycling. So this is a commingled sort that most of us are familiar with in in maybe at our household or residential recycling systems where there's paper, plastics, glass, all in one system. We have paper only, we have plastics and kind of bottles and cans only, And then we have compostable materials as a third way stream. And we see our customers mix and match those as they see fit. A lot of them try to, you know, one of the interesting things about how people deploy Big Belly is public space waste represents a very small overall segment of the grander waste market. Most waste is developed either on the commercial side or the residential side. This is the stuff that's coming from businesses, from industrial segments, from schools, hospitals, et cetera, and then from people's houses. That's where the majority of the the volume of waste comes from. But on the visibility side, public space waste bins are a huge part of the visibility of the waste system. It's what you see, what you kind of encounter as you're shopping, as you're traveling to and from work, et cetera. And so what options you have, what decisions you're making in that side of things starts to make an impression on what you're going to do in your own life. So if you see that, oh, there's just a waste bin out here and I throw everything in it, why would I be as incentivized to recycle in my own home setting? Versus if you're met with the decision to do the right thing out in the public spaces, it's reinforcing good behavior at your workplace, at your home, et cetera. So we see a lot of our customers really try to match their deployment of our systems in the public space to meet what kind of the the behavior they're trying to drive in their customers, if you will. Mm the residents or whatnot of the city. And so, you know, we, they'll often do some public space, public service messaging on the bins to talk about the right things to put in the right places. And yes, part of that is about, you know, what to put in the big belly system, but also part of that is what to put in your own bins at home and how to be a good steward for your waste beyond that. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. It's really, it scales beyond the impact in the public spaces. Then it's about educating yeah, and kind of influencing behavior. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we all grew up in in a world, at least our generation. You know, we're now uh, elder millennials or whatever you might what you might call us these days. But you know, we grew up in in a world where recycling, at least in the home place, was something you just did when you were done with the soda bottle. You didn't 
just throw it away. You, you did something with it. I lived in a state where the, that that was worth a nickel. So maybe you collected them together and you went down to the local store and you got five bucks back or something like that. And that was pretty cool as a kid. You could go buy something fun. And so if you're then out in the in your city and you have that same soda can in your hand and all you have as an option is to throw it away, it starts to challenge those sort of value system that you've developed. So yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's it you talked about how it's important to that you're making the trash problem go away from a very visible perspective to kind of residents of these public spaces. But at the same time, that visibility of it is part of its power. I was curious, kind of along those lines, I know that I think for the last 10 years, you told me big belly systems are connected. And I can only guess that part of the power of having that IoT ecosystem is about understanding the data. So the trash goes away from the resident standpoint, but that data is available for city operators to be thinking about how much trash are we getting? What different types of trash may I'm curious. I'd love to hear what sorts of value people are getting from that. Yeah. It's been really interesting to see the waste industry as a whole start to embrace technology and data more deeply than I feel like they did before. And now we have a more integrated data system as those sort of systems and uh, communication technologies have evolved. And it's been really interesting, you know, just even over the life of Big Belly, to see the transformation of municipalities, haulers, et cetera, from being kind of stuck behind the times on the technology side to really kind of catching up and, and being at the forefront of some of the kind of trends and technology that are going on. Mm -hmm. In my day job, we work with companies to collect data a bunch. And one of the hard things always is, what do you do with that data? I'm curious if you've seen, it sounds like you, there's a lot of insights you can get. Have you seen cities make any changes or, or do anything differently based on what they're learning? I mean, our data is, a lot of it's around the collection patterns of public space waste bins. And so we're, you know, we're directly enabling cities to make some decisions around their public space waste collection. I think some of the interesting things I've seen is what types of vehicles do they need to use? What types of, of collection crews do they need to use? And how do you, if you're changing your system from like the historic, the competition, as I talk about, is, is generally a, the status quo, the waste bucket that existed out in public spaces before. And those waste buckets that, are, that don't have technology associated with them and don't have the compaction capability and some of the other stuff we provide from an overall capacity standpoint. So let's take a busy city center. I think a lot of people don't realize that a lot of those bins might need to be collected multiple times per day. Hmm. And if we think in our own lives about our decisions we make about when we might want to drive into a busy city center, we think about the time of day that we might want to go into a city. And there's some times where you're like, oh, I don't want to go into downtown fill in the blank. It's really busy then. But if you know, or if you believe that there are probably overflowing trash bins right now, and your job is the waste collector, you have no choice but to go into that area at that time. And so we give our customers the flexibility to think about the time of day that they want to go address the bin. So we see a lot of our customers will may switch to either early morning or overnight type collections where they're, they're not out there with the collection vehicles during the congested hours of the day. And the intelligence we provide, the data that's provided through that smart connected system and the capacity lets them actually do that. And then we've seen, given that we're having them collect fewer bins in any given collection trip, sometimes go from a bigger, higher polluting, you, know, you talked about the miles per gallon of a waste vehicle at the start of this podcast, 
to something more like a pickup truck or something like that mm -hmm. because they're collecting fewer bins and they can and it's compacted and it's less less fluffy so you could maybe do the same thing pickup truck that you might have needed to do in a compacting refuse vehicle before mm -hmm. so we see people making that those sort of decisions that have a real impact on the environment both in the broader scale as far as like the overall emissions of the vehicle and then in a more local scale on what it's like to just exist and, and be part of that environment. Yeah. So that data is a really, really critical part of the whole system in the value proposition. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of other companies that are in our related space trying to make the waste industry more efficient and more effective. Here in the US, we're probably a decade or so behind what's happening over in Europe. The challenges over there are, are a little bit more extreme because you know they've generally been have denser cities. They have less of the kind of wide open spaces that we do just bury stuff. So they've been having to grapple with some of these challenges long before us. And, and they have a much more sophisticated, particularly residential collection system that is really focused on data and how much waste do you produce, mm. Dylan, versus how much waste do I produce? And comparing us in the same way that you might get a comparison on your electrical bill, you might get a comparison on your waste bill because they're measuring the amount of waste that they're picking up from your house. And they know that you you know, only uh, recycle 40% of your, your waste weight. And I recycle 60% of my waste weight. And maybe I get a credit as a result of that and you get a demerit. So there's lots of really cool stuff going on well outside of Big Belly related to the data and insights that you can get from the waste that's generated. And it's really going to be fun to see where this goes uh, going forward. Because I, I really do feel like it's an industry that is even with those sort of innovations is still pretty far behind kind of the technological advancements of some other areas, but it's a big part of the overall kind of climate change, green initiative type puzzle. And I think technology can play a huge role there. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just the thought of measuring my waste is a little bit scary. Like two kids with in diapers, and <laughs> I don't think we want to. So maybe you could, you know, maybe maybe for for the more sophisticated things, you could say, well, look, at, hey guys, I get a reprieve. I have kids yeah. in diapers. Uh, again, more waste volume there. Yeah, give me a pet. But then you have interesting companies that are working on compostable diapers yep. and, and other things like that. They're trying to solve that problem. So yep. the cool news is there's there's a lot of really neat companies, people with ideas that are trying to solve all those little pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool talking to you about this because a lot of the people I talk to in the climate tech space, their solutions are amazing and have the potential to really change the world, but they're they're in the lab today or they've done one deployment kind of thing. Yeah, You've been, I mean, th these stories you're telling are from experience over the last, how long have we been out of school? Like whatever, 16, 17 years. <laughs> 15, yeah, 16 years now, yeah. So you've really seen the impact and been able to learn from that and and grow the company as a result, which is really cool. Does it, I'm curious that you're global, like I've seen big belly systems in New Zealand and Europe. I, I mean, I think I read 50 countries yeah. in all 50 states. I think we've, we've crossed a 60. 60 countries? Yeah. 60 margin now. So we're it's over 60 countries now, yeah. Did you ever imagine that this kind of, that you'd have this kind of re reach when you were tinkering on this back in the college days? If I said yes, I'd be lying <laughs> to you. No, I mean, I, I think that the idea of where we've been able to expand to and the types of places that folks have, have seen the value in the product we've made and wanting to deploy our system is humbling and, and it's really wonderful. And it's given, it's been really 
interesting to see the types of places people see the value in it. We started out thinking that we were about kind of busy city centers and the places that really generate a lot of waste. And that still remains a large part of our customer base. But we see stuff in historic areas that are really more about hiding the waste and keeping it Mm. contained. We see things in remote areas where it's just really hard to get there to pick up the waste. So, you know, it, it really spans the whole gamut. And it's been really neat to see examples of, of how people envision using our system and how we can help them achieve their goals. You know, that's really what we and our partners in deploying this are here to do is to understand what, what people's goals are and how the products that we make might help them achieve those goals and mixing and matching the types of services that they get from us to, to meet their needs as an organization. Yeah, that's really cool. I was thinking about those remote locations when I read that stat about mileage for trash trucks and just like thinking, you know, if I throw a piece of trash away at a trailhead, the miles of (laughs) the miles of road that that piece of trash has to travel, you don't think about that, but reducing the number of trips that trash has to take is pretty impactful, probably. And you think about the trailhead side of things, you know, a lot of places have gone to the carry and carry out, not necessarily because it's environmentally friendly. It's the same trash, but I think more so because they don't want to be able to deal with the pain of having to deal with waste bins in those areas. Whereas technology can help solve that problem. If that if if a trailhead wants a waste bin there and a regular waste bin means that some person from the, the park service needs to go there every day to check on that waste bin to see if it's full, that's a misuse of park resources that, you know, that person can probably be doing a much more valuable task. Mm-hmm. However, if you replace that task with technology and say, all right, well, we're going to tell that person only when that trailhead waste bin needs to be collected. And for the rest of the time, they can do their other more valuable tasks. And then you can layer on perhaps compaction on top of that to hold even more and reduce the amount of time that that, the number of times that that person needs to go collect that bin. Okay. So this show is about hardware innovation or we're meant to be about it's engineering. I'm an engineer, you're an engineer. I'd love to hear what one of the biggest technical challenges is that you've faced through this whole process in that context or something you think is on the horizon as, you know, for the future of Big Belly. Sure. So we start off with my origin story saying that I'm I'm a hardware guy. I like I like doing technology and kind of physical things. I love the idea that we have our systems out in a lot of different places in the world. It has been amazing to see in some places the amount of the abuse that waste public space waste systems take in the world. And, you know, I think the kind of the number one challenge we deal with in some ways is meeting kind of meeting that need with our customers and making something that that stands up to the abuse in public areas. In some cases that's just wear and tear, but in other cases, it's really active abuse mm. over the value of the waste that, I mean, we talked about the value of recycling, you know, in bottle bill states, there are things that are worth a nickel or a dime inside the bin and you add those up and there's real dollars inside there. So public space waste has this really interesting socioeconomic piece of the world. And in many cities, it's a really challenging balance that they're trying to strike. And sometimes our bins are almost at the forefront of that, of that battle, if you will, that's going on between dealing with people that are, are out and are trying to make their way and figure out how they're going to make some money by collecting these redeemable bottles and cans, but not wanting them necessarily out in the spaces that they want them to be in. So we find our products sometimes at the, at the kind of forefront of that tug of war there. So I feel like from a hardware 
technology standpoint, the biggest challenge we deal with is, is kind of one of the more fundamental ones, which is how do you make it just that much more durable to make sure that, that it withstands the needs of the public spaces that it's going into? Human proof. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's human yeah. proofing. The technology is easy. You know, the communication yeah. to the cloud, people have figured that out. It's it's pretty robust. It's people. People are the problem. Yeah. What's the worst thing you can put in a big belly? Like a broomstick or like a water balloon full of maple syrup or <laughs> that would be pretty sticky i suppose that would be that would be a, a yeah. challenging thing i don't know you know, we've tried to make the product uh, deal with as much kind of waste as as we can mm. from a worst case side of things we try to limit the amount of residential waste that can go in there so we prevent big bags mm -hmm. from being put inside sometimes people try to shove that in there they try to take their broken umbrella or or their bag of household waste and jam it into it. But just the opening is only so big. Yeah, we've designed it that way to prevent that kind of waste from being put in there. Mm -hmm. That stuff is meant to be deposited in, in other waste receptacles, not public space waste bins. But sometimes kind of one bad apple ruins it for everyone else. And if you jam up the system, then, then no one else can put their, what it's intended to take in, their lunch bag, their coffee cup, you know, the other stuff that they're walking around with. So yeah, that's typically the kind of the worst Thing that goes in there is, is something that just wasn't meant to you. You're supposed to dispose of that some other manner. Right. And, you know, kind of we're using a public space bin for it instead. Yeah, no, it's cool. I mean, it's amazing how robust they are. And I, I imagine using the solar power to power a, a compactor is not easy. To get, you have to have a certain amount of power in order to crush all this stuff. And you can probably only do it a certain number of day, times a day and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The nice thing about the solar panel on it is that number one, it's a cool, visible use of a green renewable technology. So I, you know, I think in, in this interest of our bins are both a utility, but also a communication vessel. They're about communicating to the community in the world that green technology has a real place in what we're doing here. Solar panels on the top of the building are oftentimes hidden and they're not front of minds. So you know, we're an example of green technology right there in front of you. And so I think just in what that does in your subconsciousness about the role of green technology mm. and green types of hardware and solar powered devices in our life, I think is, is a good thing. Cool. I love talking about the tech side of it. I think just I'm going to close us out with a few last questions. Sure. If you could wave your magic wand and change one thing about the waste problem, what would it be? It's a good question, Dylan. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. To me, I think it really stinks that we have to truly discard any of the waste that we make. If I were to be able to wave my magic wand, I feel like I would love to make it more of a, of a circular system than it is right now. And that more of our waste could be effectively collected in a way that lets it then be effectively sorted. And that when once you sort it, that's more effectively reused into other new products. You know, where the inflationary economy we're dealing with right now, a large part of that has to do with raw material acquisition and other things that, that are going on right? and the challenges dealing with that. And I feel like that will continue to get bigger and we're spending a bunch of time and energy as a world collect, you know, getting new raw materials and then we're using them for a relatively short period of time and then we're disposing of them mm -hmm. and then having to go get new raw materials and repeat that whole cycle. So I would love to see the waste industry get to the place where it could be much more circular than it is. And the magic wand waved every bit of trash that we collect in a big belly or you put out in front of your home gets reused and remade into some new thing that someone will appreciate and use and perhaps dispose of again themselves 
but then that gets remade and remade and remade again. Well said. Who is one other person or company doing something to address climate change that is inspiring you? You know, there's, at least in the waste industry, there's a number of companies that I feel like are in our camp trying to do the kind of things that we're doing as well. I think we gain a lot of inspiration from each other. We've been working closely with a number of those companies. Honestly, like the big waste haulers are grappling with this challenge, trying to get more stuff out of the waste stream and bury less materials. You know, companies like Rubicon, for example, are trying to add technology into the waste industry and modernize some of these older ways of thinking about things. So I think those sort of folks, the fact that we see people that are out there kind of outside of our part of the world that are feeling the benefits here, trying to do the right thing. We've been recently dealing with a number of companies that do compost collection. And so these are, you know, on the compost side of things, it's really interesting part of the waste world. You know, we don't think about it too much, but the, forget the number, the exact numbers, but by weight, it's about a third of the waste we get rid of is technically compostable. Wow. And when you put that into a landfill, it starts breaking down anaerobically, which creates methane, which then is a greenhouse gas, which contributes to global warming. So there's a lot of really neat companies that have sprung up trying to take that waste out of the waste stream. There's a there's one here in the Boston area, uh, Black Earth. Uh, we've done a lot of work with that and talked with them a bunch. And they've made this really neat company where they engage with citizens to collect their residential food scrap type material. They'll come by, they'll pick it up from your house. They'll bring it to one of their facilities. They'll put it in a big pile. They'll turn it over and turn it over and turn it to dirt. And you know, so those type of folks that are, that are seeing a problem and finding a solution, whether it's technology or just good old fashioned gumption to try and solve it are the folks that, that I personally draw a lot of inspiration from in our industry. Yeah, that's awesome. I will look up those guys. Yeah. This last question is for a younger version of me who was an engineer who wanted to help climate change, but didn't know where to start. What advice do you have for someone like that earlier in their career? You know, I think the thing that I feel neat about the climate change problem is that there is so much opportunity as an engineer, as someone looking to develop new technology to find new ways to solve problems. I, you know, I feel like in, in human evolution, it's really been a recent transformation in trying to think about how we do more with less. And forever and ever and ever, it was about doing doing more and doing more and doing more. And it's only been recent that we've been seeing a shift into that. Well, how do I, how do I get that same enjoyment out of X, Y, and Z, but in a smarter way, in a more environmentally friendly way? And so I feel like we're really just scratching the surface. And so the, you know, the younger you probably has ideas, perspective, views in the world that old fogies like you and I don't have. And so you know, would probably bring a new line of thinking to the problem, maybe new technologies that, that you're aware of or you're comfortable with that we're not used to. And you're thinking about a combination in a different way. You know, how do you solve the, all of the different ways that we are contributing to global warming? It's really all about use. It's about excess. It's about how much we're consuming in the kind of broader sense of it. And the idea of how do you get that same enjoyment in life and joy, uh, whatever you're, you're getting out of that consumption, by consuming less. And I feel like there's a lot of really interesting technology examples of how, how you might get that, you know, and, and look, you know, Big Belly is an example of that. We are taking the same problem. Of, I have a coffee cup in my hand. I'd like to get rid of it and making that less of an environmental burden on the whole world. And what are other examples of that, that some younger version of Dylan 
we'll come up with and, and look to solve. Awesome. That's inspiring. Well, Jeff, thank you very much for sharing your time and your wisdom. I learned a lot today. I think it was really, really cool to hear about the ways Big Billy's having an impact in ways I hadn't thought of, like how the educational component of it being public in the public spaces and and then also thinking about how it's just a piece of this bigger system and how it's helping us get closer to that dream of a truly circular system. It's pretty cool. Very I mean, let's let's hope. I mean, yeah. I think it's a really interesting podcast you're putting together here because I, I love hardware problems. I love trying to solve stuff through technology. And I love the community of folks that are trying to do that. So this is all really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for saying that. Thanks for your time. And uh, that's a wrap. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers. Hardware to Save a Planet is brought to you by Synapse. To find out more about us and how we develop hardware solutions for the world's most ambitious companies, head to synapse.com. And then make sure to search for Hardware to Save a Planet in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere you like to listen. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Synapse, thanks for listening.